but moments that matter. Moments that matter. Moments that matter. Welcome to this latest edition of the Moments That Matter podcast series. Today I'm joined by Rachel Crompton, and Rachel is currently the sensei of her own dojo, the White Wolf Dojo, in Sydney, New South Wales, and I want to talk to Rachel about her journey from the UK Navy, through the sailing boats in Australia, and particularly the Sydney, the Hobart Yacht Race, and through to owning her own successful martial arts studio. And I want to talk about her journey along the way, the lessons she's learnt, and how she's applied that to her own experience uh, to contribute to her success. So I hope you enjoy our conversation today. So Rachel, I'll ask you to start by just giving me a short rundown of your career to date. So they give me the, the one to two minute snapshot of, of your career thus far. Uh, it's been pretty varied, I have to say. I feel like I've had about four lifetimes in, in one. <laughs> I left school, I, I had pretty... Um, uh, unusual school experience, I'd say. Uh, I ended up uh, getting an apprenticeship out of a lot and selected out of a lot of different people to work at the Museum of London as an apprentice a museum technician. And I was uh, I was 15 when I got the job and had to wait till I was 16 till I started. So I started there. I worked there for three and a half years. But I always wanted to um, be on the water all the time. And uh, I had an interest in uh, I wanted to expose myself to an, a kind of national service as well because you used to get the older generation complaining, even back in those days, complaining about the younger generation. And I, I went and joined the Navy because um, I wanted to experience that. And uh, I also thought they might let me on a ship on the water, even though I knew at the time they weren't letting girls out there. Uh, but I thought very naively that they would <laughs> change their mind when they met me, but of course they didn't. Anyway, so uh, after I realised that wasn't going to happen, after a couple of years, I uh, exited the Navy. And then I um, I never wanted to work in – I never wanted to have an office job or a secretarial job. So I um, I wanted to work outside and I was also interested in construction. And anyway, I, work, I got a job with a big uh, – as a trainee site engineer with a big construction company in the, in the UK called Langs. And I worked with them for about seven, seven or eight years, I think. It was great. I really enjoyed that work. Uh, and then um, – I was also so I got into sailing at the same time. That was kind of like, that's my work career, but I was sailing throughout the whole time since I was a young, young, youngish age. And then my brother moved to Australia, and I wasn't interested in coming to Australia to be honest, because I was enjoying my life in the UK. But uh, the family were coming out and kept telling me how great it was, and I came out here just to <laughs> to stop the family going on about how amazing Australia was. And one year I said, look, I was, tw- I was about 28 at the time, I think. I said, I'm going to Australia, and then when I get back, we can all shut up talking about Australia. <laughs> but when I, got, when I got out here and I was in Sydney Harbour, it was like I'd arrived in heaven. So <laughs> just I was sailing every night of the week from all the different yacht clubs and from someone from the UK that I couldn't discern a class system as such and I was welcomed. I said I've got to move to Australia. So I finished my studies in construction and came out here. Then I was working in construction, but all the time I was kind of edging towards getting more and more sailing just on the water and finally ended up working as a yacht rigger, actually, which I absolutely loved and did that for a few years. Um, during that time, I had an incident in my life where I got beaten up in a road rage incident and um, that's what introduced me to martial arts so I was still sailing at the time that that happened and that was about 20 years ago now and that's how I got started in martial arts actually uh, so I was still sailing I, I actually stopped sailing for about six months because I was 
pretty injured from that incident. And you know, I got oh. really into martial arts. I never thought anything could supersede the sailing, but I still love it. But uh, I started doing more and more martial arts. And you can't do both because it's just too physically demanding. Well, let's. I'll, I'll focus on the sailing side of things, and then we might move to the martial arts yeah. uh, side of things. Yeah, pretty mixed, I, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, well, I'm interested in going back to the Navy experience, and you sort of said you, you hit a bit of a glass ceiling there as a female. I mean, how often have you come across that? Uh, in, I mean, is, is there an element of that in the sailing world as well, where there's a bit of a glass yeah, ceiling that you've got to push yeah, through? Yeah, there is. I would say I noticed more of a glass ceiling in the UK, to be honest, with the sailing. Then... Glass ceiling is a funny term because uh, I kind of uh, associate that with more of a corporate world. Yep. But it's more of a clique and you've got to really fight for your place. And you've also got to be non-threatening in a, in a way to – you want to be taken seriously as a, uh, when, with your sailing. Well, I did anyway and not just uh, someone that kind of came along just for the uh, you know, gin and tonic or whatever afterwards. So I wanted to make that very apparent. And for the first few years of my sailing, I would refuse point blank to do any cooking or make any tea or anything like that. So – because I was not there just to do that part of things for for, for the boys kind of thing. But I, I think I got uh, pretty well accepted once you start to, um, you know, grow and develop and improve. And uh, I made some amazing friendships while I was sailing. And it's uh, it's you have to have a lot of trust for each other in a lot of these situations. So I, I had some, some great friendships. I mean, I was, it was still a boys club in some ways, but it started to open up more and more. Did you feel you learnt anything from that Navy experience, uh, you know, where you, where you sort of couldn't quite break through to the, the level that you wanted to, to get to? Yeah, I think I think what happened with the Navy is that it was really impossible because the rules are so – it's so such a strong uh, framework that there's no – even with all your will and you're the best, like I'm really, really driven – and it was just black and white. There was it's a dead set no. And um, so once I realised it was absolutely no, I, I stepped out. And uh, but with the sailing, I just thought with my extra drive and commitment and kind of just my my passion for doing it, I thought I could push through those boundaries. And I did to quite quite a long uh, a long degree. But it's still still tough going in some ways. And with the sailing, when you came out to Australia, so you were you were involved in the Sydney Hobart. How many years did you did you take part in the Sydney Hobart? Uh, well, I got here in 93 and uh, I started, um, I did five Sydney Hobart campaigns and um, so from 94 to 98 and the last one was 98, which was that well, terrible Well, that was the year. worst one, yeah, that was the, the That infamous. was the worst, <laughs> that was the worst year, <laughs> God. So, uh, yeah, uh, so I stopped doing Sydney Hobarts after that year. I think um, it was just such a stressful, I mean, of course, it was a very frightening experience but it was very, very stressful for my family because, uh, of course, there was some tragic situations there and the the stress that I'd caused my family uh, was pretty extreme and I'd already, you know, done it a few times and then I kind of uh, focused more on uh, what we call around the cans racing and more of like the Grand Prix events around, around, around Australia with some more high-level kind of one-design boats and stuff like that. So it was a bit more technical rather than offshore stuff. Did you realise in the moment in '98 that oh this is this is pretty serious? I mean, were you on one of the I bigger did. maxi sort of yachts, or were you on one yeah, of the smaller? I was smaller on a forty. Ones? I was in a forty footer, and um, we were we were a few miles behind sort of Orion. And when we were going, of course, this was my. I've been that down a few times, so I knew it was pretty extreme, and I just I didn't know. I really didn't know how we would get back. Uh, I was. I, I, 
it was, yeah, I didn't know how we were going to, I just knew at any point that one of these waves could turn us over. Mm. And um, so, yeah, I, it's it's hard to describe. I think I'd have to have probably a bit more time to describe that one. I'm still, I'm, my kind of voice shakes a bit even talking about it. And it's one of those things is that when you're in the moment, you're just caught up in the adrenaline. Oh, I guess you're not looking at the bigger picture. It's only after something like that happens that you think, well, yeah, that, well, that my was... mindset, I, I do remember very much at the time with my, I mean, I wasn't a rigger at that time, to be honest. I was learning about it all, and I had a really good, because of my construction knowledge, I had a good understanding of loadings, and I just really like that kind of thing. I'm really interested in how things work. And um, I remember being, we have safety harnesses, and you've got like what they call it, a jack stay that goes from the front to the back of the boat. And, you know, we'd all be clipped on that, sat on the side towards, you know, sat sat on the side of the boat, not everybody, but some of us, and you clipped on that. And I'm thinking, oh, you got sort of six, seven people on that. And if the boat capsizes, then we've got shock loading on that. Is that going to hold? And then I thought, no, I'm going to clip onto the side rail to where the, near the stanchions are. And then I clip on that. And then I think, oh, if we go over, that's, you know, uh, the stanchions might get swept off. So I not, might not stay on the boat. And then I'm clipped on the thing in the center of the boat. And then I'm thinking I might drown because it's kind of right in the middle over so i was already looking at all these scenarios as we're sailing along and i would change my mind every now and then about about what what potential scenario might happen uh, so then i settled on to, of course i had my knife but uh clipping to one particular point and then sec- and the second point uh for uh because when i was on the side on the staunchings i'm thinking god if it goes over that way um like you're gonna get thrown like four it's like they're quite wide these racing yachts so it's quite a long way to fall too so mm. Yeah, I had all these things going on in my brain. I'm trying to work out what to do if anything did happen. Do you still keep in touch with the with the crews that you you sailed with uh, through those? Yeah, Hobart? yeah. It's I say that like one Sydney Hobart is worth like probably at least ten years of your life of friendship. <laughs> it is. It's, it's a real bonding experience. <laughs> That's what I've I've talked to a few people that have done it. And they said it's an amazing bonding experience to the people that you do it with. Yeah, as I said, there's a lot of trust involved and it's very raw because it's a bit like family in the sense that, you know, when you're under a stressful situation, you can't really hide who you are and not there's any rights or wrongs about anything. Like, you know, if you get tetchy when you're tired or, you know, you give up a bit when you get cold and wet or, you know, people lose focus or, you know, their stamina is not so great. And we, yeah, but I do keep in touch with my sailing buddies very much so. We're, we're really, really, uh, you know, some I don't see for a long time, for a year or so and, uh, and others I catch up for coffee every few months and a couple of them I did all girl crew thing at one point too and we after we realized we were horr- horrified it was actually 20 years since we did one of those <laughs> so, so we did a we started doing a reunion every year which we uh we've done for the last few years which has been really amazing how we all sink back into the roles we've all got our we just go we go away for the weekend and everyone share what I, what struck me was how everybody shares the load naturally like and we don't officially go oh, i'm doing this or you're doing that of course that's the way on the boat but uh within the social situation of that someone will make dinner one night or someone will go shopping or someone will wash up and you know someone will do a different thing the next day so everyone shares that's what i really noticed there's no one person or a couple of people doing everything and other people sitting around so it's uh that's one thing that's quite noticeable is the teamwork well, I was going to ask that. So, what what have you been able to sort of use some of those lessons and some of those examples of teamwork now that you've you've moved into the martial arts space and, and you're running your own sort of business in in that area? It's very kind of lonely. Lonely is not the right place, the right right word, because it makes you sound like you're alone. But it's it's it hard is a to different find. discipline, isn't it? 
yeah, it's a very personal discipline. Of course, you have to train with other people, but um, which is great, and we all have to help each other, and we all train with each other. But it's a very personal journey, and that's kind of what I suppose, in some ways, pertaining to what you were saying earlier about glass ceilings, which. I didn't really think about it till you said it, but uh, one of the things I did like when I first started martial arts, it was all up to me. Like So is the effort I put in was the rewards that I was gaining from my own training, where on the yachts very much so, um, it might be who you know. Uh, so, I mean, you start to get to know more people, but it's about uh, put someone putting in a word for you to get on a particular boat, perhaps. And uh, I didn't actually know anybody when I first came here, so... And that improved as, as time went on. But uh, with martial arts, it's up to you. you. You know, you reap the rewards of what you get out of it, what you put into it without another human kind of, you know, changing your path in some way. It's, it's really up to you how much how much you engage. Do you think you would have become involved in martial arts other than for the traumatic experience that you went through? Not really, because I never really... I kind of had a vague interest, but when I was in the Navy, we did a self-defence thing. It was only a six-week thing for, like, a couple of hours, and uh, it was quite... It was... I quite enjoyed that when we did that little bit of simple self-defence. And But then there was some judo tournament, and they said I was quite good at the... When we did self-defence, and I should go in for it with the judo team from that... The, the part of the Navy that I was in and we did this judo competition with all the other services. I, I don't know how I ended up representing the Navy. Maybe I think it's because no one else wanted to do it, but, uh, <laughs> and, and there's these, I don't know whether they're Olympians or something, but it's like they were pretty much the army judo people were pretty professional at the judo. I think they were probably black belts and I'd done like six weeks of two hours of, you know, hardly anything. And, uh, I survived some of the, I was in straight into this category that was like an open weight category, even though I was only about 68 kilos, apparently went to open weight. And I remember having to do this fight with this lady who was about 85 kilos, I think. And I just thought I was going to die. And I, they clapped when I came off, I think, but cause I survived it, but I just thought I was going to die throughout the whole experience. And I, I was terrified and hated it. And I said, I'm never, ever going to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> And when you, so when you, it really put me off, to be honest. <laughs> well, when you look back at when you first thought about, I'm going to start getting involved in martial arts, and I'm guessing there was a, a pretty large self-defense element for you, but what are some of the surprising things that you've gained out of your involvement with martial arts that you probably would not have expected uh, to have happen when you first become involved in it? I was really surprised at how much I liked it. My brother persuaded me to do it because after I started, because I got beaten up in a very, very uh, serious road rage incident. And the guy ended up going to jail and I was very lucky to get out of that situation. But So I wasn't that keen about doing it, to be honest. But but I had lost a lot of self-confidence and I was quite frightened. I've never been really a frightened person because I had quite physical confidence with my sailing and I was quite strong. But uh, I was, first of all, I was surprised how much I enjoyed it. And then I was quite surprised that it was not anything... My ideas of what martial arts were, because after that other funny experience I'd had, uh, it was really different from that, and everyone was a lot more friendly, and it was a lot more fun. So uh, that's that's the first thing that struck me. So yeah, that was. Well, do you that think that's different. a common misconception about martial arts that people I do, think it is absolutely. more competitive? Uh, 100%. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think people like there's movies and there's books and all images that people conjure up in their minds. They have their idea of what martial arts is. And until you actually start something and experience it for yourself, you don't you don't know until you you do something for yourself. Uh, and it's 
it is different from what my initial uh, idea of what it was. So that was the first surprising thing that I noticed. Yeah. And yeah, how much fun it was because I'd had that funny experience before. Yes. I, I mean, that's been my experience as well. Like I've, my, my, both my children do martial arts and they've been, it's been a very individual thing for them. And they sort yeah. of, you're essentially competing against yourself, aren't you? I mean, in some ways yeah. it's, all but very different worlds it's like golf in a sense where you're just going out there and saying i just want to get better um and, and yeah. improve the level that i'm at rather than worry about what what level someone else is at and, and booting them yeah i think that's the key that's key it's uh, uh one of the on the back of one of the t-shirts i'd made for our dojo it says true victory is is self-victory and it's, it's not i didn't invent that phrase it's a very old phrase uh so the only victory is victory over yourself uh, so it's just about being better than you were yesterday and it's nothing to do with anybody else. It's a very personal journey. And what I do notice with my students is, um, you know, they all come in with different attributes and different dispositions and how it can benefit just about anybody really. I mean, we can all improve in some way, of course, physically. But if you're shy, it can improve your confidence. And if you're a bit overconfident, it can give you a little bit more of uh, understanding and a bit more... Um, kind of respect for other people in, in some senses. So, yeah, I really noticed that it can – I kind of – it's hard on just talking because I'm quite a visual person, but I, sometimes for the parents that come in, I'll draw like – start drawing a circle, I'll draw an internal inside indentation, and then I'll draw a spike on it. And and so, you know, if you, it, it kind of – it rounds you off and it kind of fills in the parts that are a little bit missing and it kind of rubs down parts that are a bit rough on the edges. So I think that's that's how it feels – well, I mean, how much of it do you think, could you quantify how much is physical and how much is mental? I mean, is it a true 50-50 sort of thing or um, have you ever sort of given any thought to that side of it? I think it probably, possibly, I'm not sure, it might depend on people's motivation for training. Uh, for children, it's different. For adults, it depends on why they want to start. So some people want to get fit or make more friends. So they start off and it's a very physical thing uh, and other people have a bit more... Um, kind of wanting to understand the mystery. They think it's mysterious because they see movies where people are flying through trees and stuff or whatever. So so they're kind of a bit more interested in that, that other aspect. But basically, uh, it all ends up balancing itself out. Uh, just the, the student starts from a slightly different perspective, probably. Now, with your own personal journey, I mean, you've reached some historic heights within jiu-jitsu uh, for a female, haven't you? I mean, you were the first to be awarded the black belt. Now, I'm not going to, you can probably pronounce it much better than I can, the exact form of jiu-jitsu that it is, and you're now the sort of third Dan in that area. I mean, mm. did you did you have a realisation of that at the time? Um, and... No, I didn't even know, to be honest. I, I, I'd started martial arts in Australia, and I was really enjoying it. And then I, I started to investigate a little bit more about where it actually came from. Uh, so then, I mean, the internet was, it's, we, of course, we had. I'm not. I've never been a very um, computer-orientated person, but I did start to investigate on the internet, and um, I uh, realised that the source was in Japan of the of the part of the martial arts that I'd been learning, and then so I just decided I wanted to go there. Uh, it took me a while to get there because you have to. It's not easy to just. You can't just walk into a Japanese dojo, so that wasn't very. That was quite quite a challenge in, in itself. But and I didn't know anything. I would, was doing kind of mixed martial arts before, which was a lot of fun to train in. But you know, we had punching and kicking. But the jiu-jitsu itself, the Japanese jiu-jitsu that I became very interested in, 
there's no kicking or punching as such. It's, I mean, it's demonstrated to demonstrate a strike, but everything's actual, they call it Aiki Jiu-Jitsu. And I didn't know anything when I arrived in this dojo in Japan. I didn't have, I, I think I probably knew how to say arigato. Also, I knew like one word in Japanese. I didn't know, I knew how to do a very basic bow and a very basic attack. And that was all I knew. So it was a bit crazy to walk into that dojo in a way. And I think it's, I was naive or I just don't really, a bit like when I went in the Navy, I didn't really think about, I don't think about things too much. <laughs> you can just dive in. <laughs> so I just go, oh yeah, that, that looks really, I think, I mean, of course I'd, I wanted, I knew I wanted to go there, but I didn't think about what it would be like. I just thought I want to do it, and uh, and had an experience and meet this this teacher, this Japanese teacher, and uh, so it was a real big shock to a very big cultural shock when I when I arrived in this Japanese dojo, and I don't know, I don't think that, uh, to my knowledge, I, I don't think I, I was the first Western woman that actually walked into that particular dojo. So, and I had no Japanese and I just got shouted at the whole time. I didn't understand what was going on and it was really a very uncomfortable experience for the first, <laughs> for the, for the first part of it. But, but I think the teacher, he's very wise and he could see how I was struggling and I think he liked the fact that I just wanted to do it and uh, I, even though it was really, really tough, I just refused to quit. Uh, other people couple of other foreign guys were in there because it was kind of like a, a seminar that he did for foreigners at the time in his particular dojo uh, and I think it was only the it might have been the first or second one because he runs them at a different place now but there was just a few other foreigners in there that were all men one was a, mar a marine one was a, a policeman and so there's all these guys there's a lot more experience one of them was a judo champion so I, it was just me and I'd been doing a little bit of MMA but I hadn't done anything like that and other people were stopping because it was actually very tough. And it was Jap Japanese Tokyo summer in August. And all I remember is I just a couple of people were stopping. And I just didn't want to stop and I didn't want to quit because I didn't want to give in. And it was just my just complete stubbornness, <laughs> I have to say. <laughs> that, that I just, I'm, not, I'm not quitting until I faint. If I faint, I'm, that's it, I faint. But I'm not stopping. I don't, I'm not, to be honest, I thought about the sense at the time, who's, of course, I I adore now and we've, we, you know, we've, I, I go over there all the time. I've known him for many years now, and I stay at the dojo. But that was my first experience of him, and I just thought, I'm not going to give him the satisfaction of seeing me quit. And I think he knew that the whole time. I, he could see that. Knowing him now, I realise he knew. <laughs> and is that the martial arts that you now teach at, at, at your dojo? I teach... Yeah, no, I teach... I, yes, I do. I teach that at my dojo, but I only teach that to adults because, to be honest, it's so strict... And it's so traditional. It's very difficult to keep uh, for kids because there's a lot of stillness within it and there's a lot of uh, traditional sitting in Caesar and a lot of the moves are from Caesar is like kneeling down position. Uh, it's excellent to train. It's so good for your technique and for your for your development. But for kids, I, I kind of mix it up a bit because I learned a, a mixed martial art to start off with. Uh, so I've developed my own kind of, of course, all the basic punching and kicking and some simple syllabus I've learned from because I also have done some Aikido. So I just mixed up the syllabus a bit for the kids and uh, I called it White Wolf Dojo because it's, a, it's I wanted to change it up for the kids, to be honest, because I wanted them to have an overall feeling of martial arts. So it's not specialized. Uh, I'm sure some people might criticize that because uh, it's not. I do a very traditional martial arts, which is completely specialized and then for the 
for this other aspect, it's it's completely different in the sense of, I suppose, if you could compare it, the Daitoru Aiki Jiu-Jitsu, of course, this is not a comparison, but uh, if it's like ballet and the fact that it's very, very traditional, it's very like the set moves and it's uh, it's quite strict in that sense. But then the White Wolf Dojo, I've got a bit of ballet in there and I've got a bit of hip-hop and there's also a bit of ballroom. So I've really mixed it up so that they they don't have to specialize. That if they actually like kicking more or the jiu-jitsu more or the kind of softer Aikido moves more, then they can specialize later on if they want to or they can carry on doing what I do, which is still and just developing this further in each direction. So it's quite broad. At what point did you sort of think this? I could turn this into a business in terms of your, your martial arts journey? Um, well, what happened was uh, the dojo that I was originally training at in Australia, I actually just I started ended up teaching the kids more and more. It was a, a, a guy that uh, founded that original dojo that I trained in, and uh, he started to build a very big school. He, it was very popular because it was a really fun system to train in, and there's a bit it was similar, there's a bit of this, bit of that, and um, he got popular, and I ended up teaching like so many kids classes and. Uh, for him and then it got to a point where uh, I kind of went over from just being a volunteer instructor to starting getting paid paid part-time for this uh, so that's that's kind of how it happened it just kind of moved across like that then I realized how much I enjoyed teaching after a few I mean after I'd been training for a few years not initially I was not too bothered about teaching straight away but once I started to develop more and then I realized I, I got I really enjoyed it well, we spoke in preparation, it's just briefly around the sort of soft skills uh, that are becoming more and more important in the professional world. I mean, what, what are some of the soft skills that you feel like martial arts imparts upon the people, both the children that you're coaching and the adults? Well, I think for God, I mean, this is probably not answering your question. I'll have to come back to that because it's just uh, for the guys that I teach, um, they, there's men are already really most. I mean, the guys, most of them are really strong anyway. Compared to, of course, I'm a woman, so they're very strong. But I can still unbalance most of them, and it's this this softness that can feel and the sensitivity. So that I can feel where they're at, and I can. But they struggle with that because they're using a lot of power. I mean, we all use power within the techniques to start off with because you you can't help it. But then as you get more skillful, you become softer and you can feel more what's happening. So you start to use, gradually use less and less power because you get the right right angles and the right uh, shape and the right structure in your body and the right movement and time, all these things. So that's what I encourage uh, that kind of thing with the guys in particular. The women tend to have, a, have, have that or, you know, they're pretty more sensitive already. So they have to build up the hard part of themselves and get stronger. So it's kind of a bit different between the, the sexes there and that's in that sense. With the dojo, the soft skills, I just think that being my own personality is I work on, I'm naturally an, you know, an intuitive person and I kind of observe people, not like consciously, it just kind of comes to me. I'm not a particularly academic person. Apparently I'm not supposed to say that, but that's how it's always felt. And people go, how, how do I know what to do? But it just kind of comes to me sometimes. So I've, I've learned to trust in how how I've, I operate as a person. I, I had a very, pretty tough time at school because I didn't like school, to be honest. Didn't my, my strengths weren't, they're just not valued at school in, in my day and, and that kind of thing. So, um, but then when I started my own dojo, uh, it's I could really start to work to my strengths in that and all the subtle things. I can see what's going on for people. 
And when they walk in the dojo, I can see, you know, how, how ten, you know, I didn't even know how to have the words. I only developed words as I started teaching more, you know, how tense they are, how, uh, how keen they are to, you know, know what to do. So I can help them in that way. One of the things I'd say to the students is I used to, I used to do a lot of sparring and I've done competitions in Brazil and Tokyo. And if you're fighting someone and you're sparring them, you, and as I say, sometimes this is subconscious and sometimes you do consciously notice. Um, but you notice where their weaknesses are. And, of course, you're naturally going to go for them because uh, you're fighting that person. But once I got kind of transcended that part of me that I wanted to, keep, wanted to do that and became, wanted to teach, I flicked. It's like flicking a switch over inside me where, where I could see those weaknesses before instead of using that to my advantage because I was fighting that person. I change it around. I, I'm helping them and showing them and helping them how to improve that part. So I kind of see through what's what's the outside. It doesn't matter, and they and they say all these things. The words are meaningless. Words are nothing because you just see through their actions and how they move, or just I just you can just feel it. And do you think that's the key skill? Like if you if you've got a someone that you're training to become an instructor within your dojo, I mean, is that the key skill you want to impart? Just that ability to be able to observe someone and sort of and and ascertain where they're at. Uh, in terms of their martial arts ability? You know, this is a really tough one because when you're learning to teach, you, I think the, to be in tune with the student is is what makes the communication easier. So you're not teaching what you think. You're not teaching what, what, what you know. Uh, you're teaching what, what the student needs at that particular moment. And you have to have kind of empty space in your yourself to be able to do that when i've got uh, instructors that help me and i first of all like that's why sometimes i'm i love teaching and when i get home from the dojo i'm actually quite tired but i think that's from the attention but when i'm there i don't feel tired and because i'm looking after the students that are on the mat but i'm also looking after my instructors because i'm building their confidence and uh, i can see when there's a miscommunication immediately like i and i have to let some of it go and every now and then i have to jump in uh, but you have to let it go so that they learn their own way and you have to see things kind of fail as it were so so that they learn themselves but then you have to it's baby steps and you have to let people trip over so that then they start to learn but it's quite, that's quite a tough thing to do uh, to pull back that that amount and because you can see it not they've misunderstood what's happening with the student uh, but then I see it and sometimes I can let it go or I or I can fix it for both of them at the time or tell them afterwards or something depends on the situation yeah, what are, what are some of the techniques that you use to, to build the confidence in, in the instructors? I pick guys that I think are open. Most of them are, the fact that I want them to do it is enough to, for most of them to feel that they've, that they've earned that, that spot. I mean, they don't, they don't know every single detail. In fact, they, they don't know, you know, there's a lot they don't know. But I'm just, as I say, you know more than the person in front of you. Uh, so you can help them that way. And I also do train the trainer with them about every six weeks, and that helps build their confidence, building their expertise and their understanding. But it takes a long time, uh, and bit by bit we do it. It's just uh, a continual process. And I kind of know when they get to a certain point, the f- it's, it's a really nice feeling when when they start teaching. I give them cues or things that they can say to help. And then and then what will happen, this will go on for you know months or years even, and then one day I hear them saying it in their own way. So they're not just repeating parrot fashion what I normally say. They'll find, they've found their own way of saying the same thing. And that's when I know that they've found, 
found it within themselves how to how to reach the students in their own own particular way. What's been the most rewarding part for you of, of running your own dojo these last? Uh, how many years has it been there? These last few years. 2012, I started. So what's that? It'll be eight eight years this year. I think seeing the students push through their barriers for themselves. Uh, I can, as I say to them all the time, I can, I can provide the space for you. I can teach you to the best of my ability. But at the end of the day, you've got to do it for yourself, and you've got to find it from within. And when they tap into that, and they start realizing that with steady, steady effort. They can start to get it somewhere. Once you figure that out, that's that's going to set you up for a long time. If you just start putting into things and and steady steady commitment, just coming week in week out, uh, and then before you know it, you've 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 improved. So watching watching the children start to and the and the adults as well to to learn learn this and then push through their own personal barriers. I've got you know we've got kids with ADHD. I've got kids with Asperger's. I had kids with cystic fibrosis. I've got adults that have had terrible accidents and can't you know are never going to be able to do certain moves properly but they're improving their balance is getting better they're improving in their own way and just seeing people continue that journey and improve themselves uh is 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 one of my uh most rewarding things that I, that i feel from the dojo and the other thing for myself personally is the freedom it gives me my the flexibility because i've always struggled in corporate jobs with I kind of like to work on my own schedule. Uh, I work really hard and then I have to stop because I kind of, that's just the way I am, especially with admin tasks and things like that. I got diagnosed with ADHD about 10 years ago. Some people don't believe in that, but uh, so that's working on my own schedule. I work really hard. It's my own dojo, so I'm kind of always working in a way, but then I, I can, it's up to me what, 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 how, how I do it, the, t- the timings. And that's, I find that that's helped me so much rather than someone saying do this at xyz time i mean of course i know things are urgent sometimes and i get that but working to my own logic <laughs> has been has just been so 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 thing. i actually remember when i first started the dojo i was thinking about a logo and i think i don't know why i thought i'm gonna have a paw print i wanted it simple i think i'm gonna, I'm gonna have a paw print for the dojo and as soon as i finished that thought I just the next thought was I better check I better check like like the automatic I better check with my boss I didn't even finish the sentence in my mind I better check with my boss and as that sentence that second sentence started I go hang on a minute no I, I don't have to check I don't have to check that's what we're doing because because I didn't have to check with anybody and that I was just like, oh my god it's such a relief it's, I just felt it's just a lovely thing to create things you know well, I think the thing that I've found with people that have had a ADHD diagnosis uh, later in their life is it, 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 it allows you, I guess, to understand the way you might behave in certain sort of scenarios. I mean, have you found the same thing? Where oh, it's sort yeah. of given you a better sense of yourself? We, we operate in a different way, and that's why school is not, you know, not great for me. But, but having that diagnosis, some people, like even my family still don't really, you know, they go, oh, they, they don't really... But they know what I'm like, so it's just the diagnose. It's just this word they don't like. Yeah, they probably but, think that's, um, that's me, just Rachel. That's right. <laughs> They're brilliant. It's fantastic. And they would get me. It's just when I was at school or in a funny work situation. But for me personally, having this way my brain works is, it feels like it go. It's like a cheetah and running as it's just works. It's just it's work. It's, it's just flow and it's amazing. And then when it comes across a certain thing which is so simple for other people. We still laugh. I still can't talk about what day of the week it is next week because I, I and numbers and things like that it just throws me completely. And then it's like I've gone into lava and I just, like, I don't get it. 
And that is so frustrating. But with that diagnosis and that understanding and how good you are at other things, you just, it's, it gives you, it's, it's like a, you just go, oh, thank God, like I'm just, that's just it. And that's just how, how it works for me. And I've got so many strengths in those other directions and keep working on those wicked points. And having your own business is very much, I don't think until I've done the martial arts and learned some self-control and some more patience doing the things that I love being a dojo, I've been with my students, but all the other stuff around it, like the admin and the, the accounting and the emails and this stuff I find very tedious, of course, but I have to do it to have the dojo. And I just take a deep breath and I accept that's that's always going to be like that. And I've got to do that dojo and more patience around myself and my frustrations around that. I just go, that's how it is for me. And I just take my time. Mm. So it has been, it, it, I found it very helpful. And last question I wanted to touch on was just the, how your business has changed during the COVID-19 situation. And has there been any changes that you've made that you actually think, you know what, that's actually something that I could continue to do uh, once things get back to normal, uh, you know, hopefully within the next few weeks to months. Yeah, yeah, it's been a bit of a roller coaster ride with the COVID-19 situation because I actually shut the dojo a week, a week before I made those uh, rules and regulations because I could see that's what I needed to do. And social, uh, sorry, martial arts is pretty much the, you know, antithesis of social distance thing. <laughs> so I thought, oh my gosh. So I actually thought for a while there, I thought this is just gonna, this is disastrous. And I, I, I felt quite sad at one point. I thought I might, might be losing the dojo here. Like all this, the unbelievable amount of effort I'd gone to to start this. And I did, didn't know, I just didn't know. And uh, then as things things developed, one of uh, my adult students that does the traditional Japanese jiu-jitsu that I do, Daitori Aiki Jiu-Jitsu, he's been uh, pivotal in this and helping me get set up with, up with Zoom. We just do the Zoom classes, as I know right now, but when it was first spoken or when that first happened, I'd never heard, I've heard of Skype, but I've, never, I've only ever done it twice, and I've never heard of Zoom. Anyway, we just kicked it off. We did an experiment with adults, and that seemed to work. It felt very strange not being able to, of course, of course touch anybody or um, hear them because you have to mute everybody because there's a few on there. But then we started to get into it. So I had hope that it's going to work, and it is working. And the lessons, it's a steep learning curve, which is pretty uncomfortable, to be honest, with all the technology around Zoom. But we're getting better, and I have I teach the classes and everything, but I'm learning more all the time. So it's been a big learning opportunity in the sense of how to present things uh, across that media and what the kids can, can and can't take on board. And, yeah, part of me goes now – our classes used to be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, and hopefully we'll build back up to that when it comes back. But we might still keep doing as like one or two of the classes as a Zoom-orientated class so people that can't come to the dojo – or want to do an extra class, but because some people do live a bit further away, can also do their class and not come into the dojo every every time. So that's a that's a possibility that uh, is crossing my mind. The other thing that's happened is it's accelerated. Even though I just started to film syllabus for the children, I wanted to actually have the kids doing it so it's more relatable for them. But we've had to rush through some videos of uh, syllabus because when I'm teaching on Zoom, we just do some uh, we do punching and kicking sets. And then we do some basic kemi, which is like little falls and roll, mini rolls because they're all at home and some uh, footwork. But we can't do our actual self-defense syllabus where we grab each other by the, by the collar or the wrist or uh, headlock or whatever. Uh, so I've had to make some videos uh, quickly. So we've got a forum up for that, uh, a study portal now on a database. So 
um, that's kind of accelerated that through. So that's that's a new way of uh, reaching our students too. So- yeah, I think it's important. And, and the more I talk to people, the more it's given them the opportunity, I guess, to, to have a bit more of a macro view of their business and sort of really understand how you're connecting with people on a day-to-day basis and how that has to change when you're online. And maybe you, you look at ways that you can incorporate some of the, the tools you're using to do it online when, when things go back to normal as well. Yeah, just, uh, it's opened up a whole new kind of portal to me, really. Uh, so I'll be investigating more as, as things go on. I've, I'm getting more ideas. We actually managed to, we, our grading was coming up uh, when this whole thing happened. And I just thought, I just wiped that out of my head completely because I thought that's it. Because uh, normally the grade is quite big, a big, uh, big deal uh, with, our, you know, the, all the parents come in and uh, we have a special class for it and then all the techniques and I thought, oh, we can't do that. But as we started doing the Zoom, I started to develop an idea of how, because to be fair, for the kids grading and the adults grading, they've been working hard at that for the last last six months. I already know where they're at. I I don't invite them to come to the grading unless I think they're they're to it. So it's just sometimes with the more senior students, they've got to do not anything like that. But for the more junior students, um, I thought... I started to realise we could they could do a normal class and then we can just do a, a one-on-one with them with uh, just over the Zoom and check their, their syllabus that they're actually graded on. They could practice with a parent even so and so. I found it very heartwarming to see because everyone's been isolated, of course, within their families and the court this time has shown us how important family is. But they, I said to them as part of their grade, they had to teach their sibling or their parent the attacks and, do, and be practising with them all week. So that that's part of their grading that they that they can show their partner what to do because they don't have the trainer to grab them for their for their uh, syllabus, and it was just wonderful because uh, the sibling the, the brothers and sisters were helping and even even a couple of the siblings are normally normally at the dojo are normally killing each other when they came to do it uh, they were just like the best partner they could possibly be and uh, it was just wonderful and the parents that don't normally have anything to do with this. They're all shy, and then they they were doing the grabs for their kids, so the kids could demonstrate demonstrate their syllabus. And one of the dads was getting thrown. I didn't know that they could do it because it was it might be a bit dangerous. But one of the dads got involved as well and was getting thrown on the ground by his daughter. And I <laughs> said to the, I said, "Don't kill him, for God's sake!" <laughs> so it was just really brilliant. So that was amazing. Okay. Well, thanks, Rachel. That's a that's a good positive note to leave it on. So thanks for your time today. It's been a, a fascinating sort of story to. To, to be able to share and I wish you all the best with White Wolf Dojo and uh, I'll be following you through my nephew I believe very much as well. thank you for the opportunity so I think there's a lot to take away from that conversation but the main thing I would take away from it is to make sure you're learning lessons along the way of your entire career whether it's around teamwork whether it's around resilience whether it's around how to handle uh, stressful times I think all those things have contributed to Rachel's success to this point and something that she's put into her not only her martial arts training but how she's run her own business so thanks again for your time today and I look forward to joining you again soon